Hello and welcome back to the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast. On this episode, my guest and I, Josh Norman from the Mountains and the Sea Podcast, will be discussing Hello, which is the B-side to pop life in the United States and Raspberry Beret in Europe. Welcome back to the show, Josh. Hello, Jason. Thanks for having me back on. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) You knew we had to start there, right? Yep. Hello. Hello. Of course. Hello. I'm not going to do uh, a Jill Jones voice, though, so I'm just going to have to keep that um, just my normal speaking voice. So let's not embarrass ourselves 10 seconds in. <laughs> no, not so quickly. We can do that later. We'll embarrass okay, ourselves. Okay. F- fair enough. That sounds good. <laughs> so, Josh, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, you were, you've been on a couple times now, uh, at least. I think we last collaborated on Baby I'm a Star, if I remember yes, correctly. You are right. So that was a you know a full fledged album song, and we did um, something in the water from 1999, which was a, an album song. But this is a B side, so this is the first B side we've done together. Uh, right. Do you have any uh, history with Hello? Like, what's your recollection of the song? When did you first become aware of it and hear it for yourself? I started actually purchasing Prince albums for myself in uh, 1987. Sign of the Times was the first like release day purchase that I made. Um, and then started collecting from there, working backwards. And um, there was a vinyl store, a uh, record store, not far from where I lived. And uh, found the 12-inch single for Pop Life and had a record player that was half decent. And so... You know, my first memory of the song was, was with a lot of pops and hisses on vinyl because um, that was really the only way to get it then. Um, hmm. And I remember transferring it to a cassette, making a recording of it so I could take it in the car or have it on a make myself a mow the lawn mixtape to put in my uh, cassette Walkman. So hearing it now, um, you know, just brings back those memories of being like in my late teenage years and just starting to explore and like, wow, it was just part, you know, just the beginning of the print story, you know, to come across Hello as a B-side a couple years after it was released and to start realizing there were all these awesome non-album tracks around, you know, how could this not be on the album was kind of the question that, you know, struck me all the time. Um, So it was just kind of uh, at the beginning of my uh, Prince fandom, I guess you could say, is what I associate Hello with. For me, Hello was a song that I didn't become aware of until the Hits in the B-Sides collection in 93. Oh, really? By by 85, I had stopped um, buying, well, I was never really buying 45s. That was my older sister's job. She was older. (laughs) She had the job. She had the money. I was, you know, a dead broke 10-year-old. So I didn't have the ability or the, the monetary means to buy records too often. So by that time... We were both um, buying tapes and recording songs off the radio when possible. So to buy a, a vinyl 45 for a B-side was just not something we were doing anymore in 85. So yeah. I totally missed out on this song. Um, but honestly, I mean, as we'll get through the lyrics for the, the song Hello, I'm not, I definitely don't think I would have caught 
or understood the references being talked about in this song. Uh, yeah. Because I really just wasn't paying that close attention to any of the uh, the drama that was occurring at the time, any of the tabloid articles being written about Prince, um, all the, the kind of negative press that Prince was receiving at the time for his decision not to participate in the USA for Africa, We Are the World, all of that I, I missed, really. Okay. I, mean, I, I wasn't yeah. paying attention to that level of, of tabloid culture at age 10, so the song would have had to have been appealing from a music musical standpoint and maybe catchy from a chorus standpoint because the verses i i would not have understood what the references were mm-hmm. i mean by the time you heard it you were a little older than i was so were you familiar with the story behind the song no not at all i had no idea i mean this was at a point where i would hear a song okay, and make like up my, make up i'd make up <laughs> my own story to you know, explain it away. So no, it was years later before I understood what the song was really about. Yeah, the the lyrics are interesting for sure. And once you know the story, it all it's like a puzzle. It it comes together very nicely, and you and you get it. You get a lot of what he's saying in the song, but without the context and without knowing more about you know who Prince was hanging out with um, and some of the more specific references that he makes in the verses, it is a very difficult song to parse through and figure out where's he, what's he talking about. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, that's my take. Totally agree. And even just the confusion of, um, you know, is this Wendy and Lisa's voice? Who is this singing with him? To not have that kind of information also makes it harder to understand too. The song... I don't know. For me, it's essentially like um, what the kids today call a clapback. <laughs> yes. Prince's right. detractors when he you know, declined to participate in the USA for Africa all-star recording. So that occurred like in uh, late January of 1985. And at this point, you know, Prince was the, the biggest superstar music, musician in the world. Practically, Purple Rain had elevated him to this superstar status. Uh, he was in the midst of a Purple Rain uh, tour, which was supposed to be a world tour, ended up not being a world tour, but um, nevertheless, he was on tour, the movie was big, it was award season, so all of the accolades and awards were coming his way from Grammys, the Oscar nominations probably had all, or at least if they had not been given out, he was certainly going to probably be nominated for an Oscar for right. score for Purple Rain, so it was a big time for him, and uh, making a decision not to participate in the We Are of the World charity event, uh, he probably took it maybe kind of lightly or didn't expect the kind of um, backlash that he received. I, I'm not sure, but he certainly received backlash. And there was a lot of rumors, I guess, going around about the reasons why. And right. you know, saying people saying that uh, it was because he didn't like Michael Jackson or you know the rivalry with Michael Jackson was too big. He didn't want to... His ego was too big. He didn't want to share the stage with all these lesser musicians. And I mean, I'm sure you've heard a ton of different rumors as well at the time, or not maybe at the time, but later on. Right. What were the reasons for not participating? What were some that you heard? Yeah. Uh, similar to what you heard, also just that he, you know, typically would record very much in seclusion, didn't even want a recording a recording engineer in the studio when he was laying down vocal tracks and Susan Rogers had talked a lot, you know, that she's around a lot now to tell these stories, but um, back 
15, 20 years ago, she would, you know, recount, you know, him just wanting to be alone, candles, dark room, able to punch himself in, record, record his own vocals and then call her or whoever the engineer was back in when he was done. So he, I, that was the main reason that I understood that he didn't want to participate was, you know, he wasn't really much to fraternize with a lot of rock stars before 1985 with very few exceptions, uh, like the Stevie Nicks story of mm -hmm. stand back, that kind of thing, but not, um, you know, not one to get up and jam with a bunch of, you know, famous music musicians at that point. So yeah, I thought it was more personal, a little bit shy, not necessarily scared, but um, more like he wanted to do his own thing, which is something he had always done, rather than be a part of a bigger whole. Yeah. And I guess even though, so you know, if, if Prince doesn't tell everybody why he's not participating, why isn't the biggest, arguably the biggest star musician out there at the time, why is he not participating in this big event? Well, people are going to make up their own stories. And right. that's essentially what happened. I guess even um, as I was doing some research for this episode, I didn't know this at the time, and I didn't realize this until very recently, but Gary Trudeau, who is the comic book writer for Doonesbury, mm -hmm. uh, had written essentially a comic strip about this whole process. Um, it, it turned the, I don't know if it was originally a strip that was turned into a book or if it was always a book, but there's a book out there called Check Your Egos at the Door. And it's, a, and it's about the We Are the World uh, recording and the whole process about that. And mm -hmm. I guess, I could not find any evidence online, but as the story goes, he decided to uh, um, kind of embellish how it went down. And allegedly, he told Quincy Jones he didn't want to be a part of it because Michael Jackson was involved. Mm. Which okay. I think is bullshit, but that that's how the rumors get started. You know, somebody yep. wants to um, put their words into somebody else's mouth and 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 basically tell a story, which is it's a it's a good story. Um, mm -hmm. You know, two rivals in the music industry, both at the top of their game, and uh, both black musicians. Let's put let's you know put them put them against each other. And yeah. Prince's ego was the reason why, and that's what a lot of people believed. A lot of people believe that, I truly think. Yeah, well, like you said, because there was no um, story from Prince himself, and he certainly wasn't going to respond to, you know, things that weren't true, take the time out of his day to say that's not how it went. Uh, like you said, it's easy to uh, make up your own story, and um, rumors get started quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think there was another th another thing that happened Around this time, maybe a little bit after, maybe like in the spring of 85, uh, I had read somewhere. Um, actually, I was looking at the the Rolling Stone article on Prince that was issued in um, September of 85. And okay. So this was an interview that he did. This was the interview he did with, uh, with I believe it was Neil Carlin. Um, let me double check that. Yeah, this is the article that he did with Neil Carlin, who now just recently released a, a Prince book himself. Yeah. And in this article, it references a lot of like the rumor mill going around at the time. Uh, there was a new person for publications like National Enquirer to really kind of hone in on. And mm. Prince didn't help himself in some respects by being very private, not giving interviews, 
and also exhibiting some what uh, others would call maybe eccentric behaviors. Yeah. And so that was a, a certainly an opportunity for publications like the National Enquirer to capitalize on the, on Prince's eccentricities and yeah. creating like this um, elaborate rumor uh, mill and sell their magazines as a result. Yeah. I don't know exactly what the National Enquirer was saying, but there's a there is a reference or a comment about there being a, a recent National Enquirer article that was written that a lot of other publications then grabbed a, grabbed hold of and started, yeah. and started issuing it and public, publicizing it as if it was fact. Right. And a lot of this, I think, Prince is also trying to address in the song as we go through the verses. It's not only just about the We Are the World. It's right. It has a bigger theme about celebrity culture and um, addressing addressing some really specific rumors that that were going around uh, about Prince at the time. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, I think it would be good to probably start going through the lyrics to try to kind of talk through those and see what you and I decide where, where the basis of some of these lyrics came from. All right, let's do it. So the first verse after the intro of the song is hello, hello. You know, you get that a few times and you have different uh, pitches of uh, voices, whether or not it's Prince and Jill and you got um, different even pitches of their own voices. So it's kind of a cool intro. Uh, It is. Yeah, but you instantly are told what the song is called. Hello. (laughs) Yes, Uh, you are. (laughs) In case you weren't sure. So, but the first verse of, of, uh, actual lyrics are I tried to tell them that I didn't want to sing but I'd gladly write a song instead they said okay and everything was cool till a camera tried to get in my bed alright so right off the bat he is addressing very clearly here the USA for Africa we are the world situation Right. I tried to tell them meaning Quincy, Michael, whoever yeah the organizers them. yeah yeah, exactly. I tried to tell them that I didn't want to sing, meaning he didn't want to be just another guy on the stage along with your Huey Lewis's and your Lionel Richie's and your Cindy Loppers. Not that he had anything against any of those musicians, but he just didn't want to be another guy on stage singing. Yep. And Prince, is, Prince has a, a great voice. He's obviously a very well-accomplished singer, but he brings so much more to the table as he, a, as a musician, musician overall, that just sitting there singing two lines in a song wasn't going to be his strength. It really wasn't going to do anything for the song, I don't think. And he probably just—I don't know—he probably just figured I can I can offer something better. Yeah, or let me—I'll contribute an entire song, and I'll sing, and I'll play, and I'll write it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and in his mind, that might have been doing more than just showing up like you said and singing a couple lines to the song yeah i mean that's like their minimum amount of effort you know and it would be somebody else's words too to to your the point that was made earlier uh yeah. you know not to call him a control freak but he certainly liked to be in control of his of his artistry yeah. and he, he didn't often t- um sing songs that other people wrote that's just Correct. not something he really did yeah, so for him rare. to sing somebody else's words, to sing Michael Jackson's words, and not be allowed to create his own lyrics that he can sing himself, 
that just wasn't jiving with him, you know. Yep. <laughs> he wasn't interested in that. And so he's like, "Yeah, I'll just do it. I'll just do a, an entire song." I mean, wouldn't that be better? Aren't you trying to? I'm sure at that point there was probably talks about this being a, a full length album and not just a single. Yeah. Uh, right. So if that was the case, yeah, you need a, a new song because he contributed a whole new song for this album. This "We Are the World" album that was released. It wasn't. It wasn't just. Um, you know, a previously recorded song that some people did, or a live version of a song. Yeah, I mean, those no, are the I types. Mean, yeah, I did yeah, did recorded, wrote, recorded the song, and made a video too. Exactly. So, like, yeah. he put in a lot of effort to what he ended up providing. But by that time, by the time this, by the time he did that, and by the time the We Are the World album came out, and then the concert, the All Star concert happened, it was all. I wouldn't say too late, but there was already a lot of negative publicity around him declining so yeah it almost some some cynics would say he only would he only participated and gave a song because he was getting a lot of negative press yeah yeah but that wasn't the setup it had just taken a long time for the song and the album to surface mm-hmm. yes yeah i mean we we know better but that's because he recorded for the tears in your eyes just weeks after yeah. You know, the the We Are the World was was recorded. Right. So we know that it wasn't like he waited until he got bad press and then recorded a song to kind of, you know, get, appease yeah. the, the detractors. That wasn't the case. We right. know that now. Yep. But I'm sure there was a lot of misinformation being tossed around. Uh, rumors started and, and people running with them as if they're facts. And that's just something that still happens today, too. So it's it not, is. Not, not a lot has changed. No. Yeah. No, it just happens faster now, I think. <laughs> Definitely faster, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, basically saying here in this first verse, that he felt like walked away from it, said, no thanks, I'll give you a song, and felt like in his mind everything was cool. Everything was cool. But till a camera tried to get in my bed, then kind of puts the blame, I feel like, puts the blame on um, the publications, uh, news outlets, uh, people yeah, who's... Huh who make a living off of this type of um, journalism. Yep, paparazzi. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Literally a camera trying to get in my bed, you know, referencing paparazzi with the camera line. And just just those, like I said, uh, those individuals who were looking to, to, make a, to make their own money off of a controversy that involved a big, big superstar. Right. So then the refrain is just after he says, till the camera gets and try to get in my bed, hello, my bed, hello, hello again. And there really isn't much of a chorus. There's right. some, there's sections of song of this song that are sung more than once that kind of feel like a chorus, but I don't know if they really are. So that really the chorus and the only time they say hello is just in this context, like at the very beginning. And then when they say hello again, after some lines of, of lyrics and, and some it makes me wonder now why is the song even called hello <laughs> I mean, it can call a lot of different things right i mean i don't know yeah i don't know either or is it would it have been better with a question mark after the word hello like hello oh, uh, yeah, here's exactly. the real story yeah <laughs> yeah Okay, so then the, the next verse, I was sitting pretty with a beautiful friend. And, and um, 
background, you have Jill saying, oh, darling, Mm -hmm. when this man tries to get in the car and Prince says, hey, Prince, come on, give us a smile. eh?" And he tries to put on this accent. Um, Yeah. I'm not sure exactly what kind of accent it is, but it's intended to be some sort of other alternate voice. Right. That he's putting on to represent the paparazzi. No introduction. How you been? Just up yours. Smile. That's right. Your star. So this is now talking about it's it's really kind of related to the same story, overarching story, but it's a different aspect. And this is really specific. Like It is, yeah. It's very specific. So the, I was sitting pretty with a beautiful friend. I guess the beautiful friend was Jill, as the story yes. goes. I'm sure you right. have read up on the story as well. Yes. Why don't you, uh, if you don't mind, kind of relating briefly what you understand the story to be of what happened here. Oh, I think it was a story that, uh, again, Susan Rogers uh told and has told many times before that it was Prince and Jill going out to a restaurant to eat and that Prince entered the limo first and then Jill followed and some photographer saw an opportunity with the door open to be bold enough to get in the back of the car with the two of them and uh, Prince's bodyguards acted quickly and pulled the, the cameraman or paparazzi, whatever you want to call this guy, out and uh, the guy, of course, the photographer had some kind of injury, dropped his camera, and then uh, Prince's own bodyguards were charged with uh, some kind of battery or something like that, is what I recall. Yeah, that's basically what I, what I read as well. Uh-huh. And you can imagine the, the sensational headline. Oh, yeah. Uh, superstar rocker Prince demands bodyguard beat up Yes. Yeah, like he ordered this. Yeah, like this guy's clearly an intruder, you know, completely. And that's why you have bodyguards. So they were doing their job, period. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And the fact that, um, you know, at that point, and it's happened timeless, countless times since this incident in 85, where a uh, cameraman gets a little too close to a celebrity or somebody of, of interest celebrity said celebrity then um defends themselves or you know they feel like their their well-being is being threatened um attacks the cameraman and then gets promptly sued afterwards for assault and battery so on and so forth so it's a very similar story that's been told so many times and i mean i've I don't feel sorry for the cameraman in this instance. No, uh, I feel I do. I do have a little bit of, I guess, empathy for. Him. I mean, this is his job. He probably gets paid for, you know, getting an ultra rare photo or the scoop oh, is yeah. his livelihood. Um, you know, so if my family was depending on me to provide for them and I had to chase people into limousines, I would probably <laughs> do it. <laughs> right, but then I probably also wouldn't uh, um, be surprised if I was, you know, manhandled a little bit too by bodyguards. Yeah. You kind of have to expect a little bit of that. I mean, if you try to bum rush a stage, yeah, uh, you're at a concert and you try to get on stage, you're not going to be politely told to leave, and you know, it's all good. You know, right? Just, oh, don't, excuse, don't excuse me, sir, you're not allowed up here. You don't get a you don't get a verbal warning when you or that bold right yeah exactly you're lucky if you don't get uh tackled and knocked out so i want to know who this guy is and does he know that his story ended up in a prince song and is he still alive today that would be interesting yeah question be nice to know wouldn't it i'd like to think that this person 
caught wind of it at some point. Like, hey, I don't know if it was a friend that might have listened to the song. I mean, it was just a yeah. B-side, mind you, so it wasn't true. a huge hit. But yeah. I'd like to think that he at least knew that uh, Prince did respond and did yeah. reference this incident in a song. I'd like to think yeah. that, that happened. I hope so. So, yeah, that's that's what's going on here. And, you know, the fact that Prince definitely doesn't feel sorry for the photographer if he... No, he makes him out to be kind of a jerk. Um, up yours, smile. That's right, your star line. Yeah, he tells us that he doesn't have a lot of empathy for this photographer and what happened to him, because he yeah. certainly makes him out to be a real jerk, a real ass. Yeah, uh, and basically saying like you don't deserve privacy. You're a superstar now, um, so your access that people have to you should be twenty four seven. Now you don't mm-hmm. you don't have that right. You've given up that right by being. Uh, a musician that has become an enormous superstar. So our access to you is our right. And right. we're taking that from you now by, by you know, jumping into this limousine that you and your friend are, was meant for, for you. So, Yeah, which sounds absolutely ridiculously stupid when you explain it like the sane person that you are. <laughs> <laughs> you know you mentioned we we talked about baby i'm a star and we got to i got to this line in this song when he says up your smile that's right you're a star and he's got a, this little background vocal with star and it yeah. reminded me of baby i'm a star which we also spoke about months ago mm-hmm. yeah exactly and, and, yeah. and he's in that song though he's He's bringing it on. It's like, yeah, I want to be a star. I can't wait till this happens to me. And now in this song, it's like the, you know, let ugh, me, the downside let, of fame. <laughs> it is. Let me explain to you what I've learned since I made Purple Rain. Yeah. Right. No introductions. You know, people want your picture. They're just going to take it. Give yeah. us a smile. And, you know, I'm just thinking for myself, if I, you know, it's, it's not easy to put yourself in somebody's shoes who's living this kind of life because it's so unfathomable to most of us. Yeah. Um, to be of that interest, that much interest to people where they would camp out outside your home or stalk you as you're out and about in public. Um, and there's a reason for it because, you know, the photos they take, exclusive photos, candid photos, they, they make a lot of money for them. Yeah. Like, as you mentioned, it's it's their livelihood. So you, you get the, the reasons for it, but it I would imagine it, it would make anybody who doesn't thrive off of this kind of constant surveillance to just retreat in themselves, retreat into their, you know, their cocoon, not literal cocoon, but your uh, metaphorical cocoon and be less open. I mean, Prince was that way already a little bit this time. He wasn't given a lot of interviews. I mean, the interview that he gave in the Rolling Stone issue that I referenced was his first interview since like 1982, early 83. Yeah, and he didn't even provide a photo to them. They had to use like a a still from the Raspberry Beret video. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. A crappy still, too. (laughs) A very crappy one. Yeah. Yeah, It was the article is fascinating and it's it's a great article. But yeah, there's nothing good from a photograph. No, no, not at all. So, yeah, I mean, I it's just one of those things, once again, just to comment on celebrity culture overall, and just no, nothing's changed in 35 years. It really hasn't. It's exactly the same way it is today in 2020. Um, yeah, like you said, the main that. difference is the speed at which it all makes it to consumers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. It was all being sold to magazines back then, and now it's sold to internet websites. That's the big difference. Yep. 
Uh, let's say anything else with that section of lyrics, Josh? No, I mean, I think that's that's it. Um, I was I remember being surprised that that verse was based on a real incident and not something that was just, you know, part of, you know, celebrity culture that um, it was very, very honest. And of course, Prince's side of it, since he's the one writing it, that it's just uh, like he would prefer he would have preferred it if the guy had said, I'm sorry to intrude on your evening, Mr. Prince and Jill, but my name is, you know, (laughs) Carl. McGillicuddy, and I'd love to take your picture for this magazine. May I do that? And how are you, by the way? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm sure even in in those situations, um, you get asked that in that manner, even though it's a polite manner. You're asked that um, 50 times in one evening, it starts being less endearing and you just get on with it what do you want you want a picture right let me let's do this you know right yeah <laughs> so you be careful what you ask for exactly All right, so the next uh, section of lines you call them bodyguards but I call them my friends I guess I'm used to having them around and cameras by nature like rewards. That's the trouble I get when I'm uptown. Uh-huh. So this this section now is talking about somebody else that was really close to Prince at this time. Even though this was about the time that he was starting to fall out with his bodyguard, uh, Big yeah. Chick Hunsbury. Yep. Who, who's he has to be referring to here. I mean, you call him bodyguards, but I call him my friends. So that line to me clearly is referencing Big Chick and um, kind of how... He was, you didn't see Prince without him, basically. If he was out in public, you saw this this enormous bear of a man next to him. Sometimes Prince is on his shoulders. Um, right. <laughs> I forget what award show it was, but he, he was uh, won an award, and he brought him on stage with him, I think, or at least yeah, walked it was, up to the stage. Uh... It was something for Purple Rain, where you know yeah, you're in an auditorium with all Oscars. kinds of security and uh, among other celebrities that don't have bodyguards sitting with them. So I guess that's why it was just an extreme. Yeah, it was a bit extreme, and it definitely eccentric. And that's kind of what I was referring to earlier. It was in a it was a uh, a big award show, a lot of people watching, and so once again you're you're watching this man walk up on stage with his bodyguard. And you're just kind of thinking to yourself, why does he feel the need to to bring his bodyguard with him? So here's his response. You call uh-huh. them bodyguards, but I call them my friends. So that was kind of like his defending. I'm guessing it's like his defense of having mm-hmm. Big Chick around all the time and even t- attending award shows with them and yeah. whatnot. It's like he felt like he was a friend. Ultimately, of course, Big Chick was uh, one of the, the old friends for sale right. uh, references and uh, that song was recorded the same year as Hello, so it wasn't too long after this song was recorded. This was in late May of 85 he recorded Hello. Yes, correct. And, and there's a reference to Old Friends for Sale in that September issue of Rolling Stone. Okay. That, that same year. So mm-hmm. Neil had apparently been given um, early listen to Old Friends for Sale, and anybody who knows that version of Old Friends for Sale, not the version we got on The Vault, Right, it's been late nineties, has much more you know pointed lyrics against certain yeah. individuals. Yeah, much more personal. Yeah, much more personal. Um, for people that Prince really felt like betrayed by. Right. And 
So I'm guessing it wasn't too long after this that the two of them kind of had their falling out. But there's a book out there that kind of uh, goes a little more in detail, and, and it's been widely publicized, and it's even in the book that that he was really struggling. He, meaning Big Chick, was struggling with a cocaine addiction at the time. Yeah. And I don't know exactly how the story goes, but I think there was some sort of betrayal where he uh, gave some personal information to people in order to, you know, use that money for his addiction. So that, for Prince, that was a major betrayal, like personal information about him. Uh, he sold it to the highest bidder, old friends for sale, you know? I mean, yep. just like the lyrics say. Yeah. But anyway, I just thought it was interesting, the timing, because the song wasn't that old when apparently the they they, they had falling out. So, But right. he's referencing, I, I have to assume he's referencing him here, um, in the song, because based off of when it was written, Big Chick was in the you know the, the purple bubble at the time. Exactly. Uh, so then I guess I'm having it. I guess I'm used to having him around. Yeah, yeah. He clearly was at least for a few years there. Yeah, to him that was normal. That's what I saw there. Like you see it as weird, but this is something that I've grown used to. And Prince was a, you know, a petite little man too. So I mean, I can see why he would feel overwhelmed by crowds and you know. Maybe a little bit of fear for his own safety. Sure. Makes sense. And then the other lines in here is just talking about the cameras again. So in cameras by nature, like rewards, just kind of an interesting way to, for me, at least I get from that is they need the, you know, cameras need something to take a picture of. They need, they need a subject. Yeah. Uh, that's their reward is a, is a juicy photo, uh, uh, something interesting that can be sold mm-hmm. and for monetary gain, obviously. And that's the trouble I get when I'm uptown. And there's just a reference to his beloved uptown Minneapolis. Yeah. And usually, you know, all references to uptown are, you know, this free space to be who you are without that kind of fear. And now all of a sudden, that's the first time and only time I can really think of him, you know, um, kind of citing a downside of being, quote unquote, uptown is kind of being having your privacy attacked. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Uptown's always been a really positive place in in his songs. It's referenced yeah. a few times, and it's like you said, it's always been a really um, a place for people to come together. Now here, it's it's 1985. The fame has been a little bit has taken its toll already, and he hasn't even been super famous for that long. Right, <laughs> so. it's happened very very quickly. It happened really quickly. It was a uh, you know the proverbial meteoric rise for him after um, Purple Rain. For sure. And probably felt like even in his safe spaces, there were uh, there were people that he could not trust anymore, and all eyes looking at him. Where maybe before he could walk around a little bit less noticed. Uh, those who did notice him, maybe it wasn't such a big deal because they were all cool. Mm-hmm. But now there's I don't know, like this more, um, it's more devious side to some of the uh, the people who are noticing him and with with nefarious intentions. They're not just there to wish him well and to say hi. They're maybe there to take a photo or start start a rumor or maybe get him into trouble somehow. Um, yeah, or uh, you know, use him as leverage to get paid themselves. Exactly. Yeah, not really interested in his well being. Just interested in their what they can get out of him, essentially. Right. I'm 
Okay, so then um, the next grouping of lines, because as I mentioned, there really isn't much of a chorus. It's just him singing yeah. different lines and grouping them together and then moving on. So he says here, I'm not afraid to die. Oh, no, there's a better place. I eat what I want. Whole wheat toast, and I'm happy, and that's for sure. So it sounds weird when I just say it, because the way this section of the song is is sung, it's this is more like a duet between him and Jill. Right. Jill follows behind each line with her own set of words. So when he says, I'm not afraid to die, she says, don't be afraid. Uh-huh. He says, oh, no, there's a better place, she says, because there's a better place to go. He says, I eat what I want. She says, you can eat what you want. I think it's Jill, isn't it? Or is it yes. Jill? Okay. Yeah. And then he says, whole wheat toast. Anything is cool in moderation. And then finally he says, I'm, and I'm happy, and that's for sure. So yeah. when you group the, the first and second lines, of, or you know the, the forefront and the background vocals together, it makes a little more sense. It's a little more, I don't know. It, the way they sing it, they kind of sing on top of each other a little bit. Yeah. So sometimes, it's almost like you have to focus on one voice or the other to get the full picture of what's being said. Right. But I do like these lines. Um, you know, with the, I, I, with the whole wheat toast, I eat what I want, whole wheat toast. I'm guessing, and I, I tried really hard to find that National Enquirer article in <laughs> 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 85, which, trust me, it's really hard. 35-year-old magazine that, you know, they, they, I don't know how often they put out issues, but they put out a lot of issues, so... Yeah, you can imagine how many archived issues they might have. I could not find it, but my guess, <clears throat> and if somebody else knows differently or knows more specifically what was said, there was probably something in there about you know Prince not you know eating anything or just having a really weird diet. You know how yeah. like the diet fads would sometimes be embellished, like yep. oh Prince only eats purple food or oh Superstar yeah. Rocker only eats. Uh, every other day, <laughs> just yes. weird, you know, a diet of eggplant only. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. I don't know exactly what was said, but I, I imagine there was something really kind of strange and yeah. troubling about his diet, and he's trying to address that here. I eat what I want, holy toast. Anything is cool in moderation. So, in the article, the Neil Neil Carlin article from September '85 in Rolling Stone. There's there's many mentions of food in that article, okay. okay. And I'm wondering if it, I don't, don't want to say it was like a, something that was done intentionally to try to uh, mm. diffuse those rumors or to um, refute them. But okay. there's certainly multiple mentions of food in here. There's mentions about lots of sweets. You know, I mean, we we kind of have learned over time that Prince had a sweet tooth, and so there's talks about uh, cookies and and um, things like that. And so for me, a lot of what this article is trying to do is Prince is like bringing, brought Neil into his home, into his Galpin house or Galpin Boulevard home at the time because Paisley Park wasn't built yet. And I feel a lot of it was Prince just trying to prove how just normal he was. You know, <laughs> this is my normal looking house. I don't live in this freaky mansion. <clears throat> I'm going to try to find the section where it talks about the National Enquirer article. One look at, and this is talking about the house. One look inside tells the undramatic story. Yes, it seems like the National Enquirer, whose Minneapolis Babylon expose of Prince was excerpted in numerous other newspapers this spring, was exaggerating. No, the man does not live in an armed fortress with only a food taster 
and wall-to-wall life-size murals of Marilyn Monroe to talk to. (laughs) (laughs) So that tells me that that National Enquirer article is really sensational and had some pretty odd untruths in it that were, you know, maybe Prince's publicist, maybe Prince himself was like, let's nip this in the bud right now. I'm going to bring this guy from Rolling Stone to my house and he can see for himself how normal of a place it is and how normal I live. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't, didn't work. I don't think because he kind of, uh, chased that. I am normal thing for easily the next year. That was kind of the focus of his on camera interview on the set of under the cherry moon, you know, in 1986 where basically he launched into it by saying, I just want to say that I'm just like you. I need air. I need water. You know, these somewhat, I don't know. They're a little trite now looking back at it. Like, well, of course, we know you're human. You know, we get it. You you have to go to the restroom just like the rest of us. But mm-hmm. that was a, you know, a constant message that he put forward, it seemed like, for a good year after the song came out, that uh, he was trying to fight the image that he was different uh, that outside of, you know, being in the studio and recording music. Outside of that, he was a normal person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of what this article is is really digging into the the mundane aspects of of his life, and you know, talking about his parents and his family and his upbringing in Minneapolis and his home and his friends. Mm-hmm. So, "Hello" had already been written and recorded, and it was released as the B side to, to "Pop Life," like I said, in the United States. Yeah. Uh, by the time this magazine article came out, but. As, as I already mentioned, it was a B-side, so it wasn't going to... I mean, all the, the millions of people that bought Around the World in a Day weren't necessarily going to know this song unless they happened to buy the 45, because I don't think cassette singles were a thing yet. No. In no. Um, and maybe it was played on certain radio stations that were, you know, kind of deviated from well-curated playlists and they were more willing to play other things like b-sides to hit singles right um but yeah a lot of people were never going to read or know this song or hear the lyrics so this article was like the other the next step you know i I wrote a song about all this stuff that's been told about me and talked about me now i'm gonna you know i'm gonna bring a reporter from the biggest music magazine in the world into my home just to prove it and like you said, that was something he chased for a while there in the mid '80s to kind of get past the some of the stuff that was being talked about him post Purple Rain. Yeah, I mean, I'm not afraid to die. There's a better place to go. That's you know, he's mentioned yeah. that before in songs about better mm-hmm. places to die. I mean, he'd written yeah. Moonbeam Levels by this Correct. time. Correct. <laughs> yeah, which was all often mistitled "A Better Place to Die." Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, so I think it's just let's yeah. let's list a few ways that I'm normal. You shouldn't have this fascination with my private life because, like you, I eat a normal breakfast and uh, everything for me is in moderation, uh, which might have been a little bit of an overstatement at that point because you know not, you know, most people who do things in moderation don't have full time bodyguards. They don't have chefs. They don't have <laughs> you know. <laughs> This yeah. kind of thing. Um, and to even say I'm happy, that's for sure. Like, um, you know, I'm doing what I want to do and I'm not that different from you, I think, is what we're getting here. 
Yeah, yeah. And it just makes you wonder, though, it's like he... Somebody who has to tell you that he's happy. Yeah. It makes you wonder, like, are you trying trying too hard to convince yourself? We knew that he didn't really enjoy a lot of what the superstardom brought him. Sure, it brought him the freedom and the ability to build Paisley Park. That's a bonus, right? But in a lot of creative freedom that he wouldn't have had without the massive success of Purple Rain. But there's the downside, and he was he sang about that more than once. This is yeah, and so this song is almost like trying to convince us and himself that everything's cool, man. Everything's cool. I love my life. life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which I hope he did at the time, but yeah, yeah, yeah. This makes you wonder. Yeah, or part of that big tall wall he was building for himself too. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. The next grouping of lines is We're Against Hungry Children. Our record stands tall. There's just as much hunger here at home. We'll do what we can if y'all try to understand a flower that has water will grow and the child misunderstood will go. Hello. Hello. Uh, <laughs> so I like the We're Against Hungry Children line because it's like, I just always think of like, uh, as opposed to being for hungry. Yeah, like we promote starvation <laughs> among the youngest of our souls. That's what we stand for. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny that he has to come out and say that. Like, we're against hungry children. We didn't participate in We Are the World, not because we think uh, hungry kids in Africa aren't worth, aren't worth our time. <laughs> we're, right. we're against that. Too. I feel like he almost had to say it, though. Like, you I know, know the, the, so it's sad. obvious. But look, I've got to tell you, people, it's not that we aren't in line with what this nonprofit effort stands for, but we've done this on our own, too. Um, and maybe that's what he was trying to get across here with our record stands tall. Yeah. You know, he did a lot of stuff for children that went unnoticed, like the uh, the surprise concert he gave at a school for deaf children around the Purple Rain era, things like that. There was, you know, a lot of goodwill uh, going on there that kind of flew under the radar because uh, it's much more juicy to, you know, say that Prince and Michael Jackson don't get along. For sure. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's a juicy article. That's yeah. a great headline, right? Right. Prince headline. loves children. Yeah. Yep. Lead balloon so, that goes over like like a lead balloon. <laughs> yeah, and uh, with with really like the whole um, there's just as much hunger here at home. We're coming after our record stands tall. It's probably like a clue to anybody who's paying attention. Um, just because I didn't, or you know, initially rebuffed offers to participate in a nonprofit that would raise money for starving children in the continent of Africa. Uh-huh. Uh, well, okay. It doesn't mean I don't care about children in Africa. I've just what I've my focus has been philanthropy domestically, and so right. that, that's really what he's just trying to say here. I mean, there's starving people in my you know northern Minneapolis that totally you help. So yeah, I think I say to this fair point. Yeah, exactly. That's all right. It yeah. is a fair point. So it's not like he's um, a selfish musician. Or, you know, he wasn't trying to come across as selfish. He wanted to make it very clear. This is, I, I take 
social ills seriously. I take uh, starvation, homelessness, and hunger seriously and famine seriously. And this is what I've done and used my platform for. I'm not going to, um, you know, cite all of the things that I've done, but just trust me. Our record stands tall. You want to know what we've done, you just got to ask around, you know. Yep. Do some do some investigative journalism instead of sensational <laughs> journalism, and you'll figure it yeah. out. Yeah, really good point. Yeah, instead of sending uh, cameramen into my limousine, do do it do a real uh, do your job in a real sense. Yeah, but Prince um, Prince's rivalry with Michael Jackson sells more newspapers than Prince the philanthropist. It does. Uh, yeah, you know, raise this X amount of dollars for this cause. So. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we'll do what we can. If y'all try to understand, a flower that has water will grow and the child must misunderstood will go. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. I don't really yep. get much more out of that besides what is literally he says there. Right. And after the refrain of hello, 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 hello again, we get basically a repeat of the Hungry Children, Record Stands Tall. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at that point, it's the same lyrics, and we don't get any new lyrics till the very end. He just says, our record stands tall, you know, give us time and love will show. And so yep. this is a bit more of the, the love... Um, I don't. I keep wanting to go back to hippie, and it's really not the appropriate terminology for me to be using. But the the vibe of around the world in a day, which was brand new at the time the song was was uh, uh, written and recorded. Granted, around the world in a day had been in the can for a while, mm-hmm. for the most part. But you know, it was just starting to get out there that you know Prince had this new direction, and he was taking a different approach with his lyrics, and he was talking about. Um, themes that were very different than his past, you know, relationship-based and kind of yeah. dark sexual themes. This was more about like a utopian uh, system and and how you can be, find happiness within yourself. Give us time, and love will show. Is just a line for me that really fits in well with the overarching theme of what he was putting out there in 1985 for us, the listeners. Talking yeah. about love, preaching love. Mm-hmm. So that is the lyrics to Hello. Now, I mean, I, I know there's a 12-inch extended remix version of that song. Yeah. Uh, with additional lyrics. I don't have them uh, available to me. I've heard the song many times. Well, I shouldn't say many times, a handful of times. I just recently caught wind of the 12-inch version. Um, I bought the, the vinyl for it not that long ago, maybe a year or so ago. Other than Prior to that, I never heard it. Oh, really? The extended remix of Hello. Yeah, no. I am, I'm saddened that this has not made it onto a digital release in any way, I shape, know. or form. And it was not on Ultimate. Um, you know, like you said, the 7-inch the version was on the hits, the B-sides. They're just, uh, if you want the 12-inch version, you've got to either find vinyl or find a vinyl rip of it that someone has, you know, made available. Yep. Which is a yep. real shame. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not even available on YouTube. No. But, well, if it is oh. available, it's not um, authorized by the Prince Estate. Right, it's not official. Yeah, It's not an official version, because I went digging for that 
as well. And uh, it took me a while to find it. Like I had to really dig to find any mm. version of the Hello Extended Remix. And that is a an officially released song. That is completely crazy to me. Um, yeah. I guess. Hopefully we'll get an Around the World in a Day Super Deluxe Edition at some point, or at least a Deluxe Edition. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be super. <laughs> yeah, just give us, give us all the stuff that was actually released in some form or fashion. And this is one of the few Prince songs that I can think of that was officially released in more than one version and still is not uh, available on uh, CD or as a download officially yeah. in any way. Crazy. Yep. Well, at this point, with all of the, uh, the releases that have been coming through the pipeline for us, I imagine at this point there's no motivation for the estate to release it formally or officially until there's some sort of, like you said, some sort of deluxe edition of Around the World in a Day that will have all of these extended remixes and B-sides or, yeah. um, I don't know, some other special like Record Store Day type exclusive Something yeah, or an anniversary uh, occasion, like 2025, the 40th anniversary of the album, maybe something like that. Uh, yeah, hint, hint. Um, yeah. That'd be great. I <laughs> know <laughs> it's only 2020, that's still five years away, but, uh, you know, th- that'll that'll be around the corner sooner than we know. And, yeah, it will be. And yeah. with, the, with the release of, like, one big, big Prince release per year, with maybe a, a side, smaller side release, yeah. it could take... Till 2025 to get around to uh, around the world today. Who knows? It's so. good, and I'm okay with the with that as long as we get there and we all live to see it. Yeah, right. You gotta live to see it. That's important. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that by that, because of the the difficulty of finding it, uh, I'm not going to talk through the lyrics to the extended version. Um, just going to leave it with the official version that we have that we can find, right. and um, then just leave it at that. But anybody who's interested in it, just seek it out, find it um, for yourself if you can, because it's pretty cool. I like the extended remix. I wasn't sure if we were going to make it there or not, so can I just mention something that oh, I read? you absolutely can. Go for uh, it. I'm not going to get the lyrics out, so this is just you, uh, Rick. So okay, and this isn't even me. This was just something I found on diffuser.fm, um, so you can find it if you look up Prince Hello. Just Google it. You'll find it. But the way they extended version and his spoken word part um, that basically makes up the 12-inch version, I'm quoting from Diffuser now. As the relentlessly funky song comes to a close, Prince unleashes one of his best-ever sermons with spoken words that fly as fast as bullets. In a spellbinding minute, Prince lays prophecy to today's online troll culture, fake news, and the overall mess society finds itself in. So I think that's a good enough teaser to seek that song out and find what Prince is saying here at the end. Well, that was really well written and well put. Yeah, that is very cool. Yeah, I, I'll have to put a link to that article in the show notes so people can find it. Awesome. Um, yeah. I, I, I hear talk about, he talks about shoes. Uh-huh. That much I know. Yes. <laughs> he yep. talks about yes. words and shoes. Yes. And that, I did get that out of it. Uh, yeah, and that they're just something to stand in. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So he's really cool. just kind of expanding on the themes of what he's talking about here about just, totally. uh, uh, you know, you, people can say whatever they want. It doesn't make it true. Um, it doesn't make it right how much pe- importance people are putting on words that other people say instead of just living their own truth or, you know, being able to accept the fact that everybody's got something to say but it doesn't mean what they're saying is is um something people need to hear or is even truthful whatsoever so totally right yeah yep 
that's what I get from it. From what I can understand, I think it's a little bit like to me, and I know I've seen this reference before, so it's not something I thought of myself, but it's a bit like uh, like the computer blue hallway speech version. Yes, where it's he's saying something, you know, he's saying something that's that's really kind of important and cool and has a lot of importance and relative to the rest of the song, but it's not really easy to, to make out what's being said. I think a lot of it is very purposeful too. His delivery of it is kind of this weird cadence. Um, and yeah. I think that it's yes. meant to be difficult. It's clearly spoken, but there are breaks where you don't expect them and syllables where they don't belong. And I don't know how else to explain it really, but yeah. just, just a weird way of, de- of the, the delivery of it is unique and well thought out, which is great, but does impede sometimes on understanding exactly what's being said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I do remember that as well. Yeah. It being a very uniquely sang song, uh-huh. at least that part of it. For sure. All right, Josh. Well, thank you. Thank you again for joining me. Um, thank you for expanding a little bit on the the 12-inch remix and just kind of helping me talk through events that you know took place 35 years ago so <laughs> yes you know. uh, I, i'm so glad i was able to join you again jason i always love it so we need to do it uh, sooner than later again yeah it was uh it, if we would have been a little older in 1985 we might have had more to say about our recollections of it but you know uh there's still a lot of a lot of out there a lot out there that can help us put into context what was going yeah. on recounts of the stories a lot of uh, secondhand, thirdhand recounts of what occurred at that that time when uh, he declined to be on "We Are the World" and just um, and Prince wrote this song for us to listen to 35 years later to make sure the story stayed straight. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a little bit of a blessing. Maybe neither you or I knew what, exactly what adulting entailed at that point. Um, mm-hmm. But had we known that then, we might be too old to be doing a podcast right now to recount it all. So win-win. <laughs> Possibly, yes, win-win for sure. <laughs> All right, Josh. Well, thanks again, and why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and your podcast? Oh, thanks. Um, my wife and I host a podcast called The Mountains and the Sea. You can find us on Facebook. Um, just search Facebook for The Mountains and the Sea. Uh, we're also on Twitter. You get our handle is at uh, TMATS Podcast. That's T M A T S for The Mountains and the Sea. Um, and our podcast is, uh, like yours, available on um, nearly every podcast platform that we can imagine. So uh, you can find us and download us for free. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I, I really dig your guys' podcast. It's super entertaining. I love the, you know, the, the dialogue that the two of you have. Um, being a married couple, you know, you could tell that there's no, <laughs> you're able to say things to each other that maybe two people that weren't married. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you can basically you can you can riff on each other, dig each other a little bit when it's when it's warranted, and it's all good in the end because you know you're a couple, so it's the, you guys can say what you want to each other. Well, she yeah, can we, say whatever she wants to you. Thank Christy you. Can say whatever she wants to you. That is right, <laughs> and she'll be listening to this podcast too, as well as me. So I'll watch what I even say here and just say that we have <laughs> we have a great time recording it together. We've got a policy that we don't talk about the music until we sit down to do it. So. Uh, nearly everything you hear is kind of our first time hearing the others take on on different songs. And for me, having listened to them for 
35 plus years, um, I'm, I, there's never an episode that we record that I'm not surprised or learn something about my wife by her, uh, her focusing on that music for a couple weeks and prep for it. It's always fun. Yeah, that, I do um, have to say that is one of the cool things about your show uh, that I that I like a lot is the the fact that you don't rehearse, like you don't come together and decide exactly what you're going to say beforehand. You can tell a lot of it's off the cuff, and when you're surprised by something, and Christy's surprised by something, it's very genuine. Like you can tell there's that surprise when somebody says something. I don't not necessarily controversial, but maybe yeah. a differing opinion, you know, than mm-hmm. that you weren't expecting. Um, you can definitely tell that it's the first time you've you've heard that and, and vice versa. The first time she's heard something out of your mouth that she wasn't expecting or considered. So that's that's <laughs> yes. kind of cool. <laughs> I usually try to explain the expression the expression on her face that I'm seeing when I'm saying something that she's surprised <laughs> by or doesn't yeah. agree with. Uh, yeah. because that's pretty priceless and uh, you know, where this is an audio podcast, so uh, it's a lot like radio. The faces don't do much unless someone is there to explain it. Yeah, no, but Christy's been on my show several times, too. And yes. I need to get her back on. Um, both great hosts and great people. So thanks again, Josh. Awesome, Jason. Thanks for having me back on. I appreciate it. You're welcome. And uh, you can find my show anywhere as well. Pretty much every podcast avenue that could be explored. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook as well. Press Rewind Pod. I recently started a Discord for the, the Press Rewind podcast as a place for people to, who are familiar with the platform, first of all, to go online and we can have real-time conversations about Prince's music, real-time conversations about Prince lyrics, um, suggestions for the podcast, um, alternate takes, you know, I, get, I would get mm-hmm. them in real time as opposed to an email or even like a, a direct message for, on Twitter. So if you are interested in Discord, you can find me there. The, the link to the Professor Ryan podcast Discord will be in the show notes, and I have it in all of my social media pages um, in my bio, so you can find it there as well. Thank you again, and until next time, goodbye. <laughs>